This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 30th. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, and NFL Network analyst Bucky Brooks will have reaction from the NFL annual meeting in Palm Beach, including Jaguars owner Shad Khan and head coach Doug Peterson. And a little later, the Jaguars have made another signing in free agency on the defensive line. That's all coming up in just a moment. Bucky, good morning, afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this podcast. How are you? <laughs> Man, I'm good. I'm good. How you guys doing? We're hanging in. John is back. He's got a nice fresh suntan from Palm Beach. I'm not happy, JP. Why? I don't like the rule. You don't like the overtime rule? I hate it. You were tweeting about that. I hate it. Well, uh, I, 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 I heard you uh, writing about that. I was writing about that. In and, the Ozone. I, I, uh, I guess hate's the wrong word. It's strong. Because it's, I mean, I mean, the game will still get decided. But to me, I keep going back to this. And again, I get that I'm the old man. I'm becoming crotchety in my old age. But is it not fair to think that an NFL defense should have a better than 50-50 chance of stopping an NFL offense? Why do we assume that a defense can't keep the opposing team out of the end zone off of a kickoff, and they can't force them not to score with a 70-70, I mean, a 65-70 yard field? I got an email today from somebody saying, <laughs> well, the, the Bills lost that playoff game because of a coin flip. They lost because the defense couldn't stop the Chiefs. How about you outscore them in regulation, too? That's and, allowed. And it yeah. kept saying, everybody keeps emailing me about this. Well, Josh Allen should have had a chance against Patrick Mahomes. It's the entire team play. And if we've gone so far that that can't be done, then we're then the rules favor the offense too much. Bucky, we're off and running today with Osher's I'm soapbox mad. here. So what's, I'm tired of it. What is your opinion? What's next? You got to have three possessions? <laughs> Got a four? Look, Shoot out. Kick play, off. Okay, so let's just play another game, Buck. I, well, I straddled the fence. I straddled the fence on like, hey, you have to do it. It's um the defense is at a disadvantage because typically if the team rallies back and scores at the end of regulation, they win the coin flip, that defense has been on there, so they're a little gas. But I think it does add a little entry to uh the postseason because now in overtime, when you get it. If you score, you have to make a decision on whether to go for two or are you going to take the PAT and then let the other team determine whether you go home or not. Because more than likely, if I score as the second team, I'm going to go for two and I'm going to win the game. So I think it puts a little intrigue more so on the two-point conversion more so than anything else. Yeah, or if, you know, if you're not confident for some reason in your two-point play, you can tie it. They're not going to they're going to go to another overtime. If you got a time after two possessions, right? I mean, I mean, who's going Well, Bucky's point I mean, is if you kick if the first team kicks. Yes, it's seven. And then you and have then, momentum. That second team is probably going to go for two and try to end it. Yes, so that's why the first team should go ahead and go for two and yeah, put them out their misery. I just I get you can't stop the ball rolling down the hill that it's an entirely quarterback offensive league, and it always has been. I get it. But if John, the you're the main one such, that's always like, sling it, throw but, it. Yes, sling it. But it, if the rules are such that it is impossible, because that's basically what fans are saying with this. Oh, it's impossible for the – it's impossible for Patrick It happened in one of the other playoff games, right? Well, didn't right. the defense make a stop in an overtime game? Well, the postseason? Or am I crazy? Some I forget yeah. what team it was. So I, actually I, made I, a stop. I just the defense is allowed to get the other team off the field at some point. 
So um, that's that. Uh, you I'm know, angry, Bucky. I'm I saw angry. one suggestion. Maybe they should just go yeah. like soccer and do you know fifty yard field goals as the uh, well the, the kick the the. They've uh, always shootout. been in a bind on this because people making the rules are always concerned about length. They don't want to lengthen the game, lengthen the game, lengthen the game because that's when injuries happen, and everybody wants fewer plays. So here you are, you're adding plays. So it's it's uh. I figured they would cave. I didn't figure they would cave this quickly. I thought it might take a year. But um, in this day and age, stuff gets done quicker. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure it's always to the end. Maybe it's not the same thing, but remember when, oh, we got to change the over. I mean, we got to change the interference rule. We got to change the interference rule. Mm-hmm. And they did it, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, maybe After one so year, you know. It, it, it was yeah. terrible. Well, I, all right. So it's, and it's postseason only, at least to begin with. No, it'll How be- many games? Who knows what happens? Let, let's move forward, though. Now, I'm mad, JP. You had an interview with Jaguars owner Shad Khan this week down at uh, Palm Beach at the Breakers, and you wrapped up that interview on Jaguars.com with this. You seem fired up about what's going on now. And mm-hmm. I know you always are. You're a positive mm-hmm. person. But there has seen something different about the way you feel about this going forward. Yeah, you know, it's like something you kind of feel in your bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like a feeling certainly I haven't had. Right. Okay. I think uh, the collective thinking and the whole, uh, the big picture. Right. Uh, and then uh, the vibe, uh, you know, the level of confidence, the level of experience with the coaches. You know, I've worked in environments, you know, primarily factories, offices where there were no walls and, you know, you're all sitting together. Um, you know, we've had the structure, obviously, in the performance center. We're going to have, you know, basically visual control. You can see who is. But I d- did that right after we, you know, uh, we got to Jacksonville where we could to eliminate that. We wanted to see, but visual control. And, you know, I love that now with coaches that you walk in the hallway, people are standing, talking, drawing uh, plays, and the collaboration, uh, you know, so early in the season, it's really great to see. I asked you this on a show on Monday, Osh. What was your other big takeaway from Mr. Khan? Well, I I think the big takeaway that clearly he wanted to discuss uh, most of all was the collaborative nature and and the vibe of the building, which everybody – who follows the Jaguars has heard about. You know, it's a good feeling with Doug Peterson. He, he talked about the professionalism of uh, Doug Peterson. He talked a lot about uh, Doug Peterson was on the radar uh, as, I don't want to say throughout the Urban Meyer, but once that ended, it was clear from talking to Shad that Doug was a, a strong possibility from the beginning. I don't want to say he was the favorite throughout, but... Uh, it does feel like it all circled back and that uh, for Shad that felt uh, very logical after how he had felt about Doug Peterson. He mentioned having met him at the owners' meeting before. He had known him for a while. So the comfort level there and, uh, you know, just the fact that he really looks at it as a, uh, in his words, maybe for the first time or the most since he's been here, the most collaborative process between everybody involved, that certainly was his theme. Good start, Bucky. It sounds like right. Uh, just the the question is moving it forward, getting through the draft, getting to the off season program, getting to the season. Uh, that's when we'll really find out. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a really good start. And I'll say this: having known Doug for a long time, having played with Doug uh, during our time together in Green Bay, and also having known a lot of the mentors that he's had 
Um, this is what I would expect it to be like. Um, having played Rick Chongren, having played and worked under Andy Reid, a lot of the stuff that Doug is doing are things that were done in those walls with those teams, having known both of those guys. And so I'm not surprised that it's a collaboration where you're seeing guys have better communication, um, front office, the coaching staff, coaching staff, the players, coaches, and front office members to maybe people around the building that may be on the other side of the aisle. Um, look, man, football, as much as it is an, a tactical game, it's about relationships. It's about building bonds where the players trust that you have their best interests at heart and there's an commitment and accountability that comes along with building that. And what you're seeing is Doug trying to build those bonds in the building so everybody feel good, feels good about the direction of the program. And I think you can sense it because that's who, who he is naturally. But I also think that's part of the team building process. I've said this for a long time. Before we, the Jags, can win on the field, everything behind the scenes has to be right and connected. And I feel like from the outside in that you're beginning to see some of the connectivity that's necessary to be a championship team. You want to make that collaborative process absolutely beautiful, JP? What's that, John? If Trevor's good. That helps. <laughs> it certainly does help. <laughs> then there'll be more collaboration <laughs> oh, than you can take a stick at. Uh, yeah, everybody, it's uh, kumbaya, yes. And uh, I don't know if you, uh, if you heard or read the story that I wrote from Doug Peterson's availability on Monday, JP. I think you did read it because uh, uh, that's my job. Yeah, because you have to. Yeah. Um, but he talked. I thought he moved the story forward a little bit, Bucky, when he talked about how much he likes how accurate Trevor is in play action, how accurate he is outside the pocket. He talked a lot about uh, Trevor's ability in the quarterback movement game. Mm-hmm. It has seemed sort of logical that that's how he would use Trevor, but it was the first time that I had heard Doug talk about that after really diving into what Trevor can do well. I'm assuming he spent a lot of time watching Trevor on film since February 6th. And uh, it sounds to me like he certainly uh, believes that uh, movement and that element of Trevor's game is going to be a huge part of it. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that I think we all have seen Trevor flash and do those things. We all kind of wanted to see a little more of that his rookie season. For whatever reason, some of that stuff wasn't done. But the easiest way to help a young quarterback is to use play action, and what I would say bootlegs or movement play action where you're faking the ball one way, you're coming out the back door. It allows you to not only move the defense with deception, but you also cut the field and have to make the reads easier for the quarterback to see clearly where the ball should go. And in knowing Doug Peterson's work with quarterback, because he's been able to get every quarterback up and running, Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, even Jalen Hurst, what he has always done a really good job of is digging deep into their background to see what they did really well and building the plan from those elements. And so when we go back and look at what Trevor did well at Clemson, he could move, he could run, he could do a lot of those things. Well, now you add that to what are some basic concepts that have been used throughout the years in the pros, basic bootleg passing game and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's easier to build a package where he should be able to be efficient while steadily evolving from game manager to playmaker at the position. He also said he liked uh, the way through the deep ball and the seam routes mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see how all that comes together once um, they get out on the grass in the preseason and especially in the regular season. 
It starts up front, though. There was a lot of talk this week at the owners' meetings about the offensive line. Cam Robinson at left tackle, of course. Peterson said they want to work out a long-term deal there. That's the hope. Um, Brandon Linder retired in the midst of the press conference earlier this week. And then the right tackle, a question. And Peterson asked this week about Jawan Taylor on the right side of the offensive line. I think he's another big reason why, you know, you keep that offensive line, you know, intact. And you have, you got him, uh, you got Cam, and then you have Walker Little, who is another guy that's going to be able to compete at that tackle spot and or be able to play both. So, you know, as I said earlier, it's hard to find offensive linemen in this league. And when you have a couple guys on your roster like we do, you try to keep them, you know, and you try to keep them here. And uh, I think it's going to be a really good uh, battle, I think, with, with, with Juwan, with Walker, you know, at that position. And, uh, you know, but I love everything that, that Juwan has done. There, there's flashes, there's moments, and we just got to get more out of the entire group, right? Not just one player, but get more out of all those guys uh, to be able to perform at a higher level. So that's obviously a, a huge question mark now, right tackle, the the battle there. What do you see playing out? Bucky, get out your crystal ball today, and what do you see playing out in training camp in the offseason? Well, a couple of things. It does sound like uh, Doug's being sincere when he sees potential in Juwan Taylor. Uh, it also sounds like he wants competition where Walker Little has an opportunity to compete for that. Um, I think in a perfect world, what you would like to do if possible, is to put the best five that you have out there. You want the best five performers on the field. And so that's Cam Robinson we know is going to be there. Brandon Scherf is going to be there. And now you're trying to kind of reshuffle the, the furniture to see if guys can get on the field. And so does that mean that, hey, Juwan Taylor and Walker Little, they can compete at tackle, but can one of those guys move inside and play guard potentially? Can you do some stuff where, hey, do I like – Walk a little over my other options. Um, do I like Ben Bart? Do I like, like, how does the entire group look? Some of that will be experimentation, doing workouts and OTAs, and some of that is just your mindset and your thought process, thought process on how do we want to attack the draft? You know, because when that quote came out, I haven't heard Doug do that. There were still some questions about would the Jaguars take a tackle at number one and that stuff. And I still wouldn't completely rule it out of the realm of possibility. I think what you want to do is you've heard him talk about Trevor Lawrence being an important piece for the team getting up and going. You want to make sure that you do everything to give Trevor an opportunity to play at a high level. I'm going to preface this by saying I, I, I hope that this is Tyler Shatley's job for the next three or four years at center. But I wonder if at 33, mm. I'm all in at receiver at 33. But I wonder with this Linderbaum kid, uh, yeah. kid sitting out That's there. That's where I was going to go. Is and I guess I'm asking Bucky a long-winded question here. Do you is there a scenario where you draft interior lineman, have Shatley start, but then eventually have this interior lineman start at center with Shatley back to the position that he's been so good at, which is the swing guy, the reliable guy. I suppose that's only. My guess is that's a question that we'll talk about leading to the draft. And that they won't be able to answer until they're on the clock because it'll be about the players available. Yeah, no, I, th I think you have to understand that everybody's always influenced by what they had when they were really successful in the past. Um, Doug Peterson had Jason Kelsey, who's one of the best centers um, that we've seen uh, in recent years. 
And Jason Kelsey was a guy who was athletic enough to pull from the pivot position, which is uncommon. And so he understands the value of having someone who is not only just a guy that is a snapper, but a guy that is a bit of an impact player at the line of scrimmage. I would say that that center uh, interior guard position, wide open in terms of looking and evaluating and seeing if you can upgrade. No disrespect to um, the incumbent who's been elevated, but you're trying to put together the best offensive line that you can have because typically if your offensive line is a top five offensive line, your offense kind of correlates to the way that they perform in the trenches. How so good is Linderbaum, is, Buck? You know, it's funny because I like him a lot. I think he's a technical marvel. I think he's a good job because he's well-trained coming from Iowa. He doesn't have what they call position flex. He's not a guard. He's just a true center. And he's really good at what he does. And that's okay if he's your starter, right? Yeah, if he can start and play. Yeah, if he can start and play, like, I don't think it's an issue. But, you know, like, at this part of the process, everyone is – it's the beauty pageant, right? I want to make sure <laughs> that they can do multiple things or whatever. But he's the best center. Um, I don't think it's close. It's tricky, though, because it's a bit of a love-hate relationship with him in the scouting community. Some people love him because he's so refined and he comes from Iowa and Iowa has a great reputation for producing um, offensive linemen as evidenced by Brandon Sheriff. But, you know, some guys are like, yeah, but he's not strong. And I worry about a big nose being on him and walling him back. I don't know. I think sometimes you overthink it. The guy's been really good for a long time in college. If he is available somewhere there, which might be a bit of a surprise if he's there at 33. Yeah, you have to you have to take him. I think he's a really good pick. All right, let's come back in a moment. We'll hear one more from Doug Peterson on his relationship with defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, what the scheme might look like, and an addition on defense earlier today. This is the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome back to the Huddle Up Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osier. And there's no better time to become a Daily's Place Blue member than right now. Get access to the best seats and amenities, premium parking, and much more for all shows during the 2022 season. It's shaping up to be one of the best seasons yet at Daily's with Dave Matthews Band, Keith Urban, Tim McGraw. The list goes on and on and on. Visit dailiesplace.com. Let's hear one more time from Doug Peterson at the NFL annual meeting. Jaguars head coach had his press conference at the AFC Coaches Breakfast earlier this week, and he discussed his relationship with defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell and what this thing could look like defensively. Yeah, Mike and I go way back, uh, you know, as, as, as players together. Um, I've always had a lot of respect for him. You know, we worked together on Coach Reed's staff, you know, in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I also worked with Todd Bowles, and so when, when Todd when Todd left, you know, he always, he took Mike with him. And so I've always followed Todd and Mike, kind of their defenses, whether in New York and Arizona, Tampa Bay, um, and and always felt like Mike Mike would make a really good defensive coordinator one day. You know, just given an opportunity, and that's that's kind of like when I was a coordinator, somebody had to give me an opportunity, right? And um, he and I got to have a great relationship. And uh, I'm just I'm excited to watch him to watch him work, call defenses, and uh, you know go to work this year. We're going to base it out of a three-four, you know, um, but it's so multiple in nature, you know. The base will be three-four, but you know teams offenses are playing so much eleven personnel that you're going to be in four, you know, four down line, you know, a four-two, 
configuration a lot. So it'll be multiple in nature that way. All right, so there's a lot there, um, guys. Obviously, they have a, a track record, a history of sorts together. 3-4, uh, but it's hybrid. Uh, we've heard that a time or two. What does that, what does that actually mean to you, Bucky, that what this thing is actually going to look like? Uh, it just means that uh, we'll see what they call odd fronts, meaning you'll see a nose tackle right over top of the center. Uh, at some form, you'll see like two additional guys with their hands in the dirt uh, to create a three-man surface. And then you have guys that are moving around, um, like four linebackers per se. But I think what you talk about in being multiple, it's almost impossible to be a guy that can just sit in your base defense all the time. Uh, because Doug Peterson talks about 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. You have to have nickel personnel in the game, which is why people consider that nickel player a starter because uh, you have 12 starters on defense. Um, it just means that you have to have a variety of tools in the toolbox. You have to have personnel that can fit a bunch of different roles um, because if Mike Caldwell is anything like Ty Bowles, they are going to start blitzing as soon as the other opponent gets off the bus. And they're going to bring, they're going to fix their issues with pressure. They're going to come after you. If you can cover a man, they'll play man. If not, they'll zone dog. But they are going to heat you up. And they're going to bring it from a variety of different angles. And they're going to put the onus on the quarterback to figure out where the holes are and to make accurate throws. And so I think that you will see a lot of those characteristics uh, come out in the scheme that he puts together in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I, I actually asked the question because yeah. – um, Way to go, John. Are you going to be – well <laughs> – No, I'm kidding. We've <laughs> sort of assumed that it's 3-4. And the entire time I've been thinking about it, I'm like – why do I even care if it's a 3 4 4 3 or not? Because, as Buggy said, it feels now when you talk about a 3 4 or 4 3 defense like you're 10 years behind the times. Because, as Bucky mm. said, they just don't ever run it. When you're actually watching the game, yeah. do you ever think about it being a 3 4 no. or 4 3? No, it's not like Madden where you pick it, you stay in yeah, it. Yeah, right? so it, it's, yeah. Uh, I understand the question. I asked the question because I had been getting the question a lot from, uh, from readers. And I really didn't have the exact answer that I wanted, uh, and that was really the and that was really the answer uh, that Bucky gave. There's gonna be so many multiple fronts. There's gonna be so many different situations. You're in nickel. I keep using things uh, 65 percent, but you're probably in you know, more, more than, than that. that. Now, yeah, sure. your nickel better be your best defense. And then you better now? have a way to stop the run out of it, yeah. and that better be what. And that better be how you play defense in the NFL. Bucky, you said 70 yeah. plus now. Yeah, it's about 70% of the time you're in some kind of nickel. And so we, what we have to also understand is there are various forms of nickel defenses. So you have your traditional nickel where you may have three corners, uh, two safeties, um, you know, on the field. But then you also have teams that are using three safety looks and two corners to be able to put a bigger body that might be more effective against the run kind of at that linebacker level. Uh, some teams are using – uh, what they call the odd stack, where it's a three-man front, two linebackers, six DBs on the field. And those six DBs may include three safeties to go with three corners, so you can do a bunch of different things. When they talk about multiplicity, it's taking what you have in the stable of your linebackers, your DBs, and your D-line, and saying, what's the most effective unit that we can put on the field in these situations? And that a lot of it was kind of being determined now in terms of looking at the tape and trying to get a projection on what they can play. But really, we'll see those packages come together once they start working on the grass and examining, okay, this player does have these skills. Yeah, we might be able to build out some unique sub packages to put all of these guys on the field so we can attack. 
I remember last year, I think it was because of injury to Herndon, but Rudy Ford was playing some nickel, right? Came down from safety, but I think that was because of personnel. And well, that things. was uh, for for a time, for an extended period of time, that was their uh, that was their best defense. That's where they <laughs> yeah. uh, went in and they beat Buffalo like they did. That's right. Um, yeah, they really didn't have a great uh, overall. They didn't have one where you said, "Okay, well, that's their best." They're going to throw it out because they had issues throughout. That was done because at some point they needed to get faster at that nickel spot, and and Ford gave them speed that they didn't have anywhere else. It's not ideal to have that. He's not a great cover corner necessarily, but he gave them an element they needed. And as what Bucky was talking about, yeah, they looked at it and said, yeah. "Okay, this is our personnel." Yeah. So and 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 that's the that's the big part of like um, defense as a coordinator. You have to have enough flexibility in your scheme to be able to account for some of the deficiencies that you have. And so you talk about Rudy Ford not being a great cover corner. Well, then that means like, hey, let's put him on the field because we need his speed, athleticism, and tackling. He can't necessarily cover a man, so maybe we can zone blitz him. Meaning we're gonna play, we're gonna bring pressure with five, maybe six, but we're gonna play zone behind it as opposed to man to man. What people want now, if you go back and look at the LA Rams and the fascination that people had with Brandon Staley when he was with the Rams and now with the Chargers. You're seeing more teams play with these lighter defenses, these hybrid safeties, a bunch of nickels. They're playing off in space and they are maybe conceding rushing yards because they want to have more athletes on the field to defend the pass. That's kind of the way of the world. That's where we're at right now. And so until the league comes full circle and people start running the football right at you, you can get away with some of those unique smallish fast line lineup um to kind of offset some of the space that you you can give up when you're playing coverage doesn't really matter anyway jp because you're not allowed to stop anybody on defense yeah apparently you know everybody gets a chance now right everybody gets a trophy right (laughs) i mean everybody gets the ball back i mean i thought john would love it i got a rule for overtime orange slices if the offense doesn't score on his first possession give him another chance (laughs) how about that why even have overtime like, why not just let the game end in a tie? Right. Like, the way it is, like soccer does, Send that hockey does the Super Bowl. It, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter until we get into the postseason anyway. <laughs> half a win, half a loss. Uh, percentage points. This is the Huddle Up podcast. The uh, Jaguars today signed Arden Key, a one-year deal, reportedly $7 million. 2018 third-round pick by the Raiders out of LSU. He was with the 49ers last year and had six and a half sacks a season ago. Bucky, what's he do for you? Inside pass rusher. Unique, unique player. Now, I will say you have to have a plan for how you're going to utilize him because he's not your every down defensive tackle. He is an up the field pass rushing presence on the inside that you must have. Elite defenses now have at least two pass rushers and ideally three, two on the edges, one on the inside. He gives people problems with his quickness and length on the inside. That said, you don't want him out there all the time because you don't want him to run right at him. But he's, look, he's a good player. Um, a lot of it will be on Brentson Buckner, the D-line coach, to kind of keep him going and keep building upon some of the things that he started to show during his time in San Francisco. Uh, he was with him in uh, Vegas too, I think, right, Buckner? A couple years yeah, ago? Yeah. yeah. yeah he Does he compare at all to Smoot Buck or not really? A different kind of player. Yeah. He's a – Arden Key was – he was really a light – defensive end when he was coming out of LSU, you know, and he flashed 
at LSU early in his career, either freshman, sophomore year. He had a big year. Final season didn't have as much. And so there was some, he didn't really know what he was going to do. That kind of hurt his stock. But he certainly has um, tremendous talent, premier talent. Uh, he's just in a unique frame because he's, he's a little slender um, and stature to be a, a traditional defensive tackle. But his athleticism and quickness gives guards problems on the inside. So if you can get into rat pass rush situations and able to kind of put him in there, he can create he can create chaos as a Tasmanian double. We can't wrap this up without asking Bucky about his mock. Right? Yeah, well, that was next okay. on the right. on the agenda okay, here. Of course, the latest Bucky Brooks mock draft came out uh, before the Arden Key signing. Aiden Hutchinson still for the Jags at uh, number one for you. Uh, Trayvon Walker out of Georgia's made his way up to some other mock draft number one picks. Um, does the does the key signing change any of that stuff for you? Is it a different position? Is it still Aiden all the way for you? Is it a tackle? What do we? You know, this is a day ago, I guess, when this officially came out. Yeah. Now you look. I, I hate to I hate to pull back the curtain on the mock draft thing, but. Um, <laughs> The mock, the, mock, the mock draft that uh, you guys are referencing, that was kind of done to create conversation because I didn't put any quarterbacks in the first round. So by uh, design, there was a great conversation. So when we had our TV show, I could talk about the quarterbacks and the quarterback play or whatever. So that was the thinking. That said, at the top of the board with the Jags, it's interesting because in my mind, Arden Key negates the necessity of the Jags having to take a Trayvon Walker. All right, the fascination with Trayvon Walker is he's such an explosive and unique athlete that you could drop him inside and create problems with his movement skills, his explosiveness. When that is you have Arden Key, to me, it kind of allows you to settle in and say, okay, now we can go and get the outside rusher, Aiden Hutchinson. We have that NASCAR package that everyone wants where I got Josh Allen. I have Arden Key on the inside, Hutchinson off the edge, maybe one other player on the inside. Now we can go hunt. We can get in those track stances and go get it. I think Arden Key probably continues to sprinkle the breadcrumbs that Aiden Hutchinson might be the likely pick for the Jaguars at the top. Mm. I'm fascinated by this, Bucky. Um, give me the names of the players you could still potentially see being number one. How long is the list? Uh, I would say four. Two, two pass rushers and two offensive tackles. I would say Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, uh, Ike Aquanu, and Evan Neal. Now that's a long are- list for being a month out, is it not? Doesn't it feel, I mean, that feel, it, I'm not saying anything against the Jaguars, but, but that speaks to this draft, doesn't it? Um, no, I, I, I think. For the Jags, I think it's the uniqueness of their situation where you're trying to figure out if you're the Jags, what do you want to place your priority on, right? Uh, John and I talked about I can't remember if we even talked about it on the podcast, where we talked about we'll be able to read the tea leaves based on what happens with Cam Robinson. Well, in listening to Doug Peterson talk about Cam Robinson, he's there. So he's locked in, and he's going to be there as your left tackle. Now the conversation goes to right tackle. How do you feel about right tackle? And then you heard him wax poetic about Taylor and (laughs) Walker Little. And so then you're like, well, it kind of seems like he feels good about the offensive line. So that takes you to the D line. And, hey, how do we want to become an explosive defense at the point of attack? Do we want a traditional, hey, let's have two edge rushers to go and complement one another? Or do we want to bring in 
kind of like an energizer bunny that can play on the inside. When that is you sign Arden Key, and even though it's one year, it kind of guys kind of tipped their hands. So now I'm like, oh, okay, well, they wanted the outside guy. So I just think it's the conversations, and as they continue to evolve as a team, it'll get begin to like point to us where it's gonna be a blinking light, right? Okay, this guy's gonna be the number one overall pick. Now I apologize, Bucky. I haven't seen the mock draft yet. Uh, yeah, no need. No need. No, no need. need. Okay. Well, uh, I can give, I can give, I can give you the top the top three were all pass rushers. So it was uh, Aiden Hutchinson going, Trayvon Walker going to Detroit, Kayvon Thibodeau going to Houston, and then Sauce Gardner going to the New York Jets at four. I assume you didn't do a second round. If oh, you no. were doing a second round, who's thirty three? Because you didn't do the other thirty two, so it should be an easy pick, right? Uh, it, should, it could be an easy pick, but like <laughs> you know, I didn't take a quarterback there, so that changes. I think. Here's the thing. One of those wide receivers will be available for the Jaguars. And what the Jaguars have to determine, do they want a kid like a Christian Watson from North Dakota State, a 6'5", 205-pound speedster um, who's a vertical threat, much like the guy that left in DJ Chark? Or do they want um, kind of a roadrunner type in Sky Moore, a guy with two eyes um, that can – catch balls and make plays and do maybe some Tyreek Hillish type stuff. You know, it, those guys will be available. Then we talked earlier about, hey, is Tyler Lindenbaum mm-hmm. uh, going to be in the mix? And do guys want to move up with the Jags and the Jaguars fall out? Because now they're looking for quarterbacks that may fall out, like a Desmond Ritter or something like that. So it's going to be a, a prime spot for the Jaguars to either get a good player or to auction it off and get the opportunity to have more good players come to the Yes, I think it's fascinating, JP. I, I think the top of the draft is fascinating because it it just feels like defensive impact is is the best thing they can get there with what they have on the offensive line. And in the top of the second, if it's pass rusher or not a pass rusher, but penetrating defensive player at number one, that thing with if Linderbaum's there, is it offensive line or wide receiver at at uh, Number two, yeah, or not number two, but number thirty-three, mm-hmm. because boy, you could make an argument that they would benefit from either direction. Yeah, you know, I, I mean that you would feel yeah. really great about the next five years with either of those guys, and then if you don't go that route, all of a sudden you're looking at those spots and saying, "Boy, we still got to, we still need something there." So, but that's yeah, so that's the way yeah, it is so when your hap- team with needs. Yeah, so here's 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 what happens in those situations, John. It, it's almost like. Um, Okay, I'm gonna give both of you guys a little grocery money, and I'm gonna have you go to the grocery store, and then I'm gonna evaluate. JP's gonna steal mine. No, I'm, I'm gonna evaluate your packages, right? So what you would like to do is you want to go through it and say, at the end of day two, would I feel better about having Aiden Hutchinson and Tyler Lindenbaum, or Aiden Hutchinson and Sky Moore? Would I rather have Ikea and so you want to compare what the total haul is. And then you want to do that comparison based upon the depth of the draft. And so we talk about Lindenbaum at center. Well, maybe we like Cam Jurgens, who played at Nebraska and was athletic and one of the fastest guys on the line. Is there a significant drop-off in their play? So, hey, let's go get the better receiver and come back and get one of the centers. And so you're doing this compare and contrast, trying to figure out where the lines of demarcation are between the A's and the B's and the B's and the C's. And you want to see if you can assemble and acquire 
as many A's and B's as possible. So you don't necessarily have to shop at the C line. There you have it. That's how the sausage is made, and we'll see what the Jaguars have in store. It is pro day season still, and you'll get a good look at Evan Neal today. Alabama's pro day coming up at one o'clock Eastern. Bucky, are you? And it's two different networks covering the thing. For goodness sakes. Yeah, RTR. Yeah, roll tie roll. Isn't that what y'all say, JP? That's roll right. Tie, roll. That's correct. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Evan Neal is one because he hasn't worked. He hasn't worked out, so people want to see now. Um. There is a conversation where people believe that Iki Kwanu is super special because of the athleticism, the nastiness, and those things. One of the reasons why I talked about him being in the conversation, hey, we can talk about, hey, is he a guard, is he a tackle, is he this? What he is is, a, is an attitude changer. And so what you want to see with Evan Neal is he's a little more technical. Is he as athletic as Iki Kwanu? You're making those compare and contrast um, decisions to figure out how the draft is going. So his his pro day is big because you get a chance to try and project out which one of those guys are probably more ready now, but which one is going to be the guy that we talk about being a star in three, four, five years. Well, there you have it. Uh, pro day season coming up. What, what You got any more the rest of the week? Like what's happening, Bucky, the rest of your week coming up in closing? Okay, so we're, we're, we're gearing up for Path to the Draft on NFL Network kicks off Monday. So it's a daily deal where we'll look at all the top prospects and all that stuff, start matching teams and players and comparing lists and that stuff. And I mean, usual suspects like then, you know, more mock drafts, more top five lists, more <laughs> kind of narrowing it down and kind of whittling away uh, until I get a chance to come out of Jacksonville, see what's going on draft weekend. And we'll look forward to the seven round Bucky Brooks mock. That's going to come soon, right? I mean, you're going to do With all no the- quarterbacks, uh, no pass no qu- rushers and no wide receivers. The, right. We won't do we won't do a seven rounder. That that's for everybody. But you know, like John, like it's so it, it, the conversation starters, right? It's so boring to yeah. just put the same stuff everybody in. Because guess what? Once someone trades, like two days before the draft, it's gonna mess up your mock draft anyway. So right, they're all over- wrong anyway. Why not have it wrong yeah. and fun? Yeah, yeah, it's wrong and fun. If you really want to know what I think about players, like I always say, like a top five list, and if I'm ranking them one to 50 or whatever, like that's how I really feel about it. Mock drafts are kind of fun scenarios where you, I get to play Trent Balky for a day and stuff like that. That's all it is. And JP, Bucky and I will be wrapping up in, in the next seven days or so, we'll be wrapping up our look at the Jaguars roster on mm. jaguars.com. Love it. And then after that, we'll have Bucky Brooks's perspective on the Jaguars draft leading up to the draft. Oh, so, it's all coming up. Uh, that'll be uh, – I'm putting Bucky to work. Yes, and, that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> and we love having him here as well. But all kidding aside, as good as he is in this format for us, the insight that he gives into different positions I really enjoy. So that's the written content on Jaguars.com. Look forward to that coming up. Bucky, have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. John Osier, senior writer, Jaguars.com. And I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next time on the Huddle Up Podcast.